I love the accounts that are parody customer support accounts on social media. Yeah, they're amazing. Half the time they're saying things that you wish you could say to people. AT&T, very disappointed in the customer service. I've been hung up on twice. And the person wrote back, we've been hanging up on people for years. And rest assured, as soon as Facebook has the option, we'll be glad to hang up on you here too. Welcome to Touchpoint a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. So thank you for joining us. And welcome back to another episode of Touchpoint. This is episode number 135. I am Reed Smith, joined by Chris Boyer. Hello, Reed. I am not in London today. I'm actually here recording. We recorded this episode prior. I'm actually physically in London while you're hearing this, though. So good day. I'm glad we got this recorded beforehand. And actually, what you're going to hear today was recorded even before today. Very cool stuff. I think uh, we've got something kind of neat in store and uh, a little bit different. Before we get to that, I want to plug the website, touchpoint.health. Get out there, rate, review, subscribe, let the other show hosts know that you appreciate their work and uh, check out some of those shows. Uh, we would certainly appreciate it. Tell some friends, tell some neighbors, coworkers, whoever you can find about, uh, about Touchpoint and rate, review, subscribe us uh, online. Absolutely. Now, Reed, today is a very special episode because recently you were part of a webinar that talked about online reputation and listing management. And we thought the webinar was so great that we asked for permission to run it in today's episode for those of you who missed it. Absolutely. So our good friends over at Binary Fountain, longtime supporter of the show, and actually have a show of their own here on the network you should check out, asked me to be on a webinar, like you mentioned. And I think it was something kind of interesting because it wasn't the typical like, hey, come do a presentation kind of a thing. It was, we're going to ask people to submit questions, and then we're going to answer them. We're going to, a whole bunch of us are going to get online and answer them. You'll, you'll hear the introductions of everybody, but of course, Aaron Clifford over at Binary Fountain was nice enough to moderate and also contribute. Uh, I was on there. We also had the guy that runs social over at Sport Clips and also somebody from Rio SEO. So this is not just about repetition management. It also has to do with business listings and some of those types of things. So There's a little bit of SEO talk in there about ranking and Google. There's some interesting conversation that that I would kind of point you to, especially with sport clips around franchisees, like locations versus the corporate office. And so it had a huge parallel that like, it seems like we always have conversations about, you know, how do you do this for the local doctor's office or local entity versus the corporate brand. Some uh, analogous stuff there, negative reputations on Yelp, et cetera, et cetera. All kinds of good stuff. Well, I am excited to listen into this, Reed. Uh, Be sure to to hang in there, listen to the uh, recording. Uh, We'll be back shortly after with a brief update where we're going to be in the fall with some recommendations. eVariant is on a mission to move healthcare ahead with healthcare's only Patients for Life platform. Armed with their actionable intelligence, healthcare providers optimize growth through smarter patient acquisition 
and retention. E-Variant is headed to Nashville for ShishMed Connections. Schedule a 15-minute briefing to be among the first to see what's new. Secure your time and receive a $50 Amazon gift card. You can sign up and reserve your time over at evariant.info slash touchpoint. That's evariant.info slash touchpoint. And if you're not attending ShishMed, no problem. You can learn more over at evariant.com. Well, welcome, everyone, and thank you for taking time out of your busy day to join us. My name is Aaron Clifford. I'm the Senior Vice President of Marketing here at Binary Fountain, and I'm moderating today's webinar as well as answering a few questions. I'm excited to be on here with a panel of experts. I'd like to start off just by giving a brief overview of today's webinar. The purpose of the webinar is to address any questions our audience has, has regarding reputation and listings management. In order to answer your questions, we brought in three experts in digital marketing, reputation management, and SEO. And uh, we'll let the participants go ahead and introduce themselves. So we'll start with Reed. Reed? Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, Reed Smith, I'm the Vice President of Digital for Gerard Phillips, Kate and Hancock, a strategic uh, communications firm based in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, we are solely focused on healthcare and even more specifically the provider side of healthcare. So my background is uh, marketing in the hospital world and then ultimately digital marketing and uh, consulting. And John, we have John Musser. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm John. I'm the digital specialist for Sport Clips where we specialize in men and boys haircuts. Uh, we have about 1,800 locations nationwide um, and really kind of you spearheaded the you know the department four years ago, so it was a brand new department, uh, and we're excited to be where we're at today. Thank you, John. Thanks for being here. And like a good marketer, he has his logo, which is awesome that we can see. <laughs> good job on that. All right, Crystal Tang. I'm Crystal Tang. I am the listings product specialist here at Rio SEO. So here to answer any questions as it relates to listings management, Google My Business, all of that stuff. Great. Thank you. Thank you all for being here. And I'm Aaron Clifford. I'm a senior vice president at Binary Fountain. We're a reputation management customer experience platform. Uh, previous, I've been with Binary for about two years. Previous, I was at HCA Healthcare, where I led the digital marketing solutions, which included the reputation management, uh, building that program out and implementing it, as well as our digital properties. Uh, so before we get into the questions, I want to remind uh, everyone that it's an interactive webinar. So please ask questions in the box to the right where you can submit a question. We have uh, questions that have been submitted already, but um, we'll take a combo of both. So if you have a question, please ask in that box and we'll field a few of those. Um, and if we're going to be, if we don't get to all the questions, because there have been a lot that have been submitted, we will follow up with those that have submitted either on the webinar or uh, before the, we had the webinar today, we'll follow up with you on those questions. Uh, so uh, without further ado, we're going to jump in and we have some great questions and really excited about these. All right. So the first one up, we're going to go with uh, Crystal. Uh, what is the most important aspect of SEO when it comes to ranking higher in Google? I would 
say in in reference to ranking higher on Google, um, assuming that, you know, this person is doing all of the basics, they've got all their nap on their website and their listings. I think anything that's going to increase engagement, um, in particular, anything related to reviews. So make sure you're managing your reviews on Google, on Yelp, if it's relevant for your industry, and then those first party reviews on your site and getting those marked up um, on your, your local landing pages is going to be critical. All right. The next question. Uh, I'll take this one. How do I combat a negative reputation on Yelp? Uh, so this is a question that gets raised often. You know, the the best um, really approach to reputation on Yelp, and I know there's a lot of different uh, feedback in terms of, you know, negative reviews maybe showing more often than positive reviews. And there's a lot of myths and there's some just practical and what people have experienced. Um, you know, the best way I think to handle a negative reputation is just to respond to the reviews and try to get those offline. Address concerns for sure that are mentioned in the review, but um, always respond to reviews, uh, whether that's on Yelp or on Google My Business. You know, it's important to respond to reviews. It's really hard. You know, Yelp is not uh, for solicitation, so it's not that you can ask people to leave a review, even if it's negative or positive, uh, just even asking any of your customers to share their experience on Yelp. They don't like that approach. They prohibit it in their content guidelines. So really just respond to those reviews and, um, you know, do the best to do service recovery. I don't know if anybody else has any other thoughts on that, but that's been my experience on Yelp. So not ignoring it, is that, is that again? Not ignore it. Yeah, <laughs> no, I think, I think right. you're right. I think um, uh, being uh, visible and, and transparent and, and kind of honest and not robotic when it comes to responding to reviews, uh, whether it's Yelp or otherwise, I think is really important. And um, yeah, I think being active there, um, you know, I think we've seen historically a lot of people want to leave a review, but they don't really want to resolve anything. And so if they go there and they see that you're active, it may actually head off some of those that are just looking to, you know, uh, be negative for negative sake. All right. Um, the next one. Yeah, what, if any, impact have you seen in your business as a result of responding to not just negative reviews, but the positive ones as well? Um, you know, you know, from my perspective, we had uh, while I was at HCA many times we were given the opportunity to uh, do service recovery, and the uh, reviewer would go back and update their review mm-hmm. and let them know that, you know, hey, they've reached out to me and they had a positive experience from there. And then also from a positive experience, it just builds, builds goodwill. Um, you're appreciating, you're showing that you appreciate the feedback from your customers and you're an engaged uh, business. So that helped out. You know, sometimes we'd have people reach out, oh, thank you, you know, almost – offline, send us a, thank you for responding. You guys are kind, you know, just some of that goodwill. Uh, there are some studies out there that have been done, and some of it's a little bit older. Uh, Mark Collier is on the website there. They did a study, and it showed that, you know, a third of reviews were then updated and, and or deleted after responding to a negative review. Uh, wow. They went back and even updated it or they deleted the negative response. So that's why it's very important to engage, especially if you have the approach of we want to have service recovery. Any other examples or thoughts on service recovery from review responses? 
Yeah, I was going to say exactly kind of what Reed just mentioned is I think users and consumers are going to be more engaging if they see you as a brand responding to all types of reviews, you know, as opposed to those who just come to complain. Um, I think them seeing a brand interacting and responding to reviews is going to encourage all types of feedback. This is a question we're going to give us to Crystal. What are the top three directories to use for contractor service area businesses? Um, I have a I have my own and I use regularly, but I want to see if there's something I've missed. Yeah, I would say probably one of the the most underutilized service area business site is likely going to be Manta for small businesses. There's also you want to make sure you're in Thumbtack, Howls, all of those new kind of trendy sites for these types of contractors. Um, and I know it's the opposite of free, but something that I think is growing in a lot of industries are um, the Google local service ads. Those are going to be a huge opportunity. They're expanding to more markets, to more industries. So if they're available for your industry, I would highly, highly suggesting suggest looking into those. Good, good suggestion. Not heard of uh, that suggestion in this context. That's good. Um, this one we're going to give us to John. What's the best? This goes back to re- responding to reviews. But what's the best timing to respond to reviews? Same day, few days, 24-hour rule of thumb. Does promptly responding to reviews help you rank higher? What's been your experience, John? Yeah, so we always kind of teach down to we want to respond to all reviews that come in within 24 hours. Um, you know, there's a survey out there that 55% of respondents expect a business response uh, within the day. And then, you know, it goes on with 30, 30% expect within three days. Um, but we, we really want to leverage within the 24 hour mark, just, you know, if there's any negative reviews out there. Um, but, you know, not just focusing on negative, but, you know, positive as well. Um, so we always want to drive the kind of lower response time down than wait a few days. Yeah. And, and I would say a lot of that, uh, John, correct me if I'm wrong, but has to do with, you know, how you're staffed. Certainly. Right. I mean, from from a resource standpoint, uh, you know, especially in, in healthcare or hospitals, Aaron, you mentioned earlier service recovery. So, I mean, if we see something and you can glean from that review that they're still in the facility and being able to go and do that service recovery in person is probably much more meaningful and probably more likely that they're going to update the review if we can get to them while they're still there. It's not always possible, uh, especially depending on how you're staffed or if it's the weekend or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, so that's probably a great conversation to have internally, uh, certainly is, you know, what are we, what's, what's capable, like what can we do realistically? Cause I think probably one of the worst things to do is set this expectation that, you know, we're liking, uh, positive reviews, like in like 15 minutes, like thumbs up and we're liking, liking the review and then like the negative one we haven't responded to in like four days, you know, like that's a bad precedent to set. Yeah. And, you know, adding on top of that. So, you know, if there, if you can see, you know, at, you know, since we're a franchise um, business, you can see a client is not happy before they leave, you know, with the service that you, mm-hmm. you nip the butt right there before they even leave to get online. Um, yeah. Absolutely. So having that internal conversation with your team, um, you know, at the franchise level, will will go a long way. Yeah. Yeah. There's something. Yeah. I've been asked, how far back do I go to respond to reviews? And normally, uh, anything that's over a week, it depends on your business. It depends. It always depends, right? There's always some situations. I would not go back uh, past a week or two. 
um, with responding to reviews. If you just start, if you haven't started up until today, just start from this point forward uh, responding. You care about simplifying the way your healthcare organization does business, and so do we. At Scorpion, our mission is to empower our clients to focus on things that really matter by giving them a simple, powerful, effective suite of marketing solutions for their healthcare digital presence. To learn more, visit us online at scorpion.co. Um, I have a couple of questions that have come in through the, the chat. So uh, we have, do you think consumers see any value in reviews that come through programs like Listen360? This is a software that asks for reviews versus organic like uh, Google or Yelp. Um, I'm not familiar with Listen360, but I assume that's a first party review. Um, you know, most the studies that I've seen is that uh, Invite Local puts out a great stat on this around 88% of consumers trust uh, online reviews as much as an in-person recommendation. So it definitely has an impact. Binary Fountain just did their own study, our own study where we asked a thousand individuals focused particularly on healthcare about the influence that online reviews have for, um, in their decision of choosing a provider. And it is 75% that it definitely has an impact and they are looking towards reviews. First party reviews. Google likes those, and so we see an influence there. But anybody else have any uh, other thoughts on first-party versus third-party or something like the Listen360? Yeah, so we actually use Listen360 to help with our MPS score. Um, so it's right in our wheelhouse. Um, it's survey-based, so it's not a first-party review where it's shown on Google or you know Facebook, Yelp, or anything like that. But it does let us know internally how we're doing at the location level. Um, the way how we utilize Listen360 on a website basis is that we have the ability to publish those surveys online to kind of go after keywords of what clients are saying in their surveys to help us index you know, better when it comes to search. Um, but, yeah, Listen360 for us is primarily MPS, um, but we always want to go after the Google, you know, the first part of reviews as much as possible. Yeah, I would say any business that relies highly on service, um, you know, particularly like restaurants, hotels, the, the Googles and the Yelps are going to be really critical. But operationally, if you truly want to use the reviews and the feedback to improve your brand and your business, um, I think I think the survey is a, a great opportunity. Uh, along the same line, we had a question that came in. How often and what time is best to send a transactional net promoter score survey? Um, do you have any thoughts on this, Reed? Um, early and often. No, I, I guess yeah. it somewhat depends on your business, right? Like where, where those intersections are. Um, and I think that's where customer journey mapping kind of comes in to understand, you know, logically, like, you know, where, where are some insertion points that you would want to measure, you know, in NPS? And so from a transactional standpoint, um, you know, I know in healthcare that at the point of discharge is obviously one of those that that that's historically kind of how that's been sent. But now we're starting to look at, well, wouldn't you want to know, um, you know, after registration or, you know, different points in care? And so, um, you know, I think this probably varies quite a bit. I, I don't know, John, what do you think from from more of a retail standpoint? Um, uh, what, what are your what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, so ours um, goes right after the service. So when a client gets a service and then yeah. they're um, kind of, it's a randomized survey. So however, and the system gets paying for them to, you know, fill out a survey is what Listen360 does for us. So yeah, for our customer journey, it happens right after the service. I got another question here. As a medical company uh, that has to worry about HIPAA and PHI, mm. any recommendation recommendation about responding to reviews? It's really difficult to address concerns when you can't disclose any information. Uh, Reed, do you want to take a crack at that? Yeah, so I would say you don't try to address it. Um, now, you do, resp- you do respond, but you don't try to address the concern necessarily. Uh, because of PHI and HIPAA, and again, you've got to involve your legal counsel in this, um, you want to try to get that conversation offline, but you want to get it offline to somebody specific. So a specific person with a specific phone number and in doing that, you know, simply reaching out and and acknowledging that they wrote a review and that you would like to talk to them because obviously you can't resolve anything in a back and forth dialogue and review setting anyway. And so trying to get this offline um, really helps in two ways. Number one, you don't get into a back and forth online. And number two, you know, you can, you can actually help them. And a lot of times we're seeing things in healthcare where it's not necessarily even the patient that's writing the review, right? It's the spouse or the granddaughter or whoever happened to be in the room. And so, um, you know, there's, there's not a lot you can do for those folks anyway. And chances are they're not going to call you and they're not trying to resolve anything. But if it's actually in a lot of cases like a billing concern or, um, you know, something like, uh, you know, type of care, you know, rude staff or that kind of thing, they will, they'll call. And so, you know, connecting those with people that would, uh, handle that anyway. Uh, so think about like if someone walked up to somebody in the hospital and had a complaint, well, who would they talk to? Is it the risk manager? Is it somebody in uh, patient advocacy or whatever it is? You know, that's how you kind of build that process. So you still respond. You have to be somewhat generic uh, because of HIPAA, and then you try to get them to somebody that can help them offline. Very good. Now, the only thing I will add to that, I agree completely, completely with what Reed said, is there are times some – uh, complaints and issues that come through that aren't necessarily related to the health um, care that was provided to the patient or uh, to a caregiver of that patient. But it might be something around portal or issue with the website or something ancillary parking. Mm-hmm. It's okay to go into a little bit more detail on that because other people may have the same complaint and you're able to sort of hedge off additional um, comments about it if you give a complete answer so that you have to work within the confines of the policies of your healthcare facility and company on what to respond. There are some responses that you can go a little bit more in depth, but never to where you're addressing the patient or getting anywhere near HIP or PHI. Um, there's no recorded cases necessarily that I've seen so far of, you know, violating HIPAA on uh, review responses. But you don't want to be the first. Uh, you don't want to be the case study. <laughs> yeah. All right, good question, though. All right, um, the next one. I manage 400-plus Google My Business listings for providers in our medical practice. When they leave, is it better to mark them as permanently closed, or should I just remove listing? If I remove listing, will the provider be able to reopen a listing under the same name in their new location? Crystal. So for this one, I think it depends, which I know is not a great answer, Um, but 
I would say likely you want to remove the listing with a few caveats. Um, does the provider name also have the branded hospital name on it as well? Um, is it going to the hospital website? Those are elements you want to consider before purely removing it because that kind of means you're still going to create a negative um, potential customer scenario if they are going to your website and then no longer see them there. So I would say if you can make a multi-step process by removing any branded, you know, organizational information and then removing it, um, that way, you know, should the, the provider go somewhere else or, you know, um, want to claim the listings themselves, that would be there. Um, but worst case scenario, if you can't remove the branded information, I think marking it permanently closed is completely fine. All right, good. There's a couple more GMB questions that uh, we're going to throw to Crystal, but, you know, Reed and John, feel free to jump in. Uh, I've heard if you manage more than 100 Google My Business listings, you will not receive alerts to your new reviews. Is that true? And if so, uh, what can you do quickly to locate listings with newly posted reviews? So, yes, it's true. Uh, it's a, a limitation of Google My Business. Any account that has more than 100 locations, you don't get alerts, not just for reviews, but for anything, for Q&A and for any other elements. Um, there are little tricks if you have around like 500 locations with manager access um, that will enable alerts. But anything over 500, you would have to use a tool. Um, otherwise, the only way to do is go through each of your locations, keep track of your reviews, and then, you know, somehow notice whenever another location comes. But at that point, I really think a, a reputation management tool is going to be your best bet. Are you struggling with online reputation management? Binary Health Analytics provides healthcare systems, hospitals, and physician practices a complete view into managing patient feedback from online ratings and reviews and especially surveys. It continuously mines feedback for sediment, uncovering timely and actionable insights. Its management tools help turn these insights into an opportunity to increase patient engagement, manage reputation, and improve patient experience. To learn more about Binary Health Analytics, visit Binary Fountain online at binaryfountain.com. That is binaryfountain.com. What is the most effective way to remove user uploaded photos if, for example, they show the wrong location or violate HIPAA? So the first thing you're going to want to do is flag it. That's always going to be the very first step. If you have multiple, you know, people that can flag it as well, that's helpful. And then really just reaching out to Google support. Um, if it's not naturally removed by their algorithm, someone has to manually review it. A manual review is going to be applied when you flag it. But if it's truly like obscene or um, a big issue, then I think contacting, reaching Google support or reaching your provider that, that can reach out to Google on your behalf, behalf is your next step. Yeah, Reed, have you had any experience with that on seeing as a health facility? It's very common, yeah. right? And it's it, you, know, you end up with some you don't even know what you're looking at half the time. It's like you hate to stare too hard, but uh, yeah, I think you know certainly flagging it or even having multiple people in yeah. the organization flag it all at once is helpful. And then certainly, um, you know, if you're working with a provider uh, on listing management and things like that, usually they have additional uh, avenues. And so that's a great way to go. It's not review related, but there you know, we had many instances where uh, individuals would check in or even on Instagram to a facility and they're taking a picture of their account number and MRN number on their wrist. Right. They, right. The little bracelet that they got from the hospital. You can't control that. 
you know, they're going to do what they want to do, but, uh, yep. you know, it's, uh, you got to be careful with that. Probably education on the other end uh, on what to share, what not to share. Be careful. Um, all right. Next one. Uh, what is the best way to find and claim rogue unauthorized Google My Business listings? Should you claim them or simply request that they be closed? Crystal. So for this one, you have a couple avenues to actually find it. It's maybe you've done searches and you got additional ones. You know, we have a report that goes out and basically scours Google and finds, you know, potential rogue listings. And then it really just requires a human to go through and say, is this a duplicate? Is this something that should be merged? Should it be removed altogether or permanently closed? Um, and then from there, in terms of claiming, uh, I would only claim if it's something you want to keep. If it's something that's a duplicate or a rogue listing that needs to be removed, Google actually doesn't want your claim on it because they think for some reason there's an association and it shouldn't be removed or they have to look deeper. Um, so specifically duplicates, if you want it removed, do not claim it. We have uh, a question that came in. What is the best practice for zip codes? Since orthopedic doctors see physicians all over the U.S. and the world, is it appropriate to put in zip codes from other states that we see patients, even though our organization only exists in Indiana? We just want to get, we don't want to get flagged by Google uh, for having these zip codes. So you would only want to put zip codes in as a service area if you as a business or professional are going to perform your business there. If patients are flying in to visit you, you only can use your zip codes that you operate out of. Um, outside of that, I mean, I would leverage your website to explain that, you know, obviously a lot of patients fly in or travel to visit you. But as far as Google My Business, the zip codes only work if you are servicing, you know, your potential patient in that area. Yeah, and I would say, you know, this is very relevant for orthopedics, for oncology and uh, cardiology, very specific um, service lines as well. So great, great question. Um, we, there was another question related to the same. Is there a best practice for adding posts to over 132 listings at one time? Uh, it's very time consuming. Uh, just go in and add posts to Google listings one at a time. Is there an easier way to do it? No, unfortunately, <laughs> not at this time. Um, hopefully, every time a new API update comes out, <laughs> um, you know, we do it. We do it for quite a few brands at this time. It's it's one by one if you're seen as a multi-location company. Um, if you are an agency and you're just working with 132 different locations, as long as those individual locations are not labeled as chains by Google, uh, then you could use the API, but right now, if you're a multi-location brand, you literally get an error back when you try to post via API, unfortunately. I know. They're not giving yeah. us any love. <laughs> what we do is, I mean, we give complete managerial access on GMB so the local teams can go ahead and post on, you know, whatever they want on Google, where it doesn't have to necessarily roll up to the corporate side of things. It's managed locally. Yeah, a distributed model sometimes is helpful in that case and scenario. Um, this one, John, I think you'd be best to answer this one. I'd love to hear someone speak to the balance between managing review responses for franchises at the corporate level and having franchisees involved with managing their own review responses. At what point does it become big corporate stepping in too far and lose some level of authentic response? Yeah, so we actually kind of fall in line in a unique level. So anything that's coming from the local side of reviews is actually managed by our local franchisees and their team. Uh, any reviews that kind of happen with, with us corporately, um, cause we do have a, a few company owned stores, 
that get handled internally with our own teams. And so we really kind of push everything down locally to local teams. Um, we use, you know, the platforms like Rio to help with managing the, the conversation and the authentic voice behind it. Um, so, you know, a particular function with using templated responses, it just kind of shows examples of what to use when it comes to responses. Um, but then they also have the ability to add in their own voice um, and make any updates in that kind of way. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're very unique as any local responses or franchise don't have to be coming from the franchise level. And it can't be necessarily coming from the corporate side of things um, is that we aren't able to respond on their behalf. And I think what, you know, Sport Clips in particular has done really well and any organization need to do in order to be successful is really invest in training, um, training on the importance of responding to reviews, like what type of language to use. Um, I think what we run into oftentimes is that these franchise, you know, managers and owners, this is their livelihood. They're running the operations. They're doing the paperwork. Um, so we're responding to reviews like maybe they're going to take it too personally. Um, I think before you give them the reins, make sure you've invested in training and given them guidelines so that they feel like they're supported by corporate. Um, but it is coming from their voice. My experience when evaluating a number of different clinics and, you know, how they were managing their reviews prior to us having a corporate program, it was all over the map. Either no one responded or they were responding inappropriately. We had uh, times um, just some really uh, rogue stuff that was happening. And so corporate had to come in and go, here are the guidelines we weren't overseeing and overlords and making, but we definitely wanted that local response. But, you know, just in doing an audit, if you are a franchise that has franchisees and you've not done an audit, there might be some good guidelines and policies to put in place and make sure that you're measuring those and uh, communicating them uh, because there's some things that could be costing your franchisees some business and they, and they just may be ignorant to it uh, and how it might be impacting their reputation and their brand at a local level. We have a question. Are there ways to have a new fresh start regarding GMB reviews? A client has over 184 bad reviews, one to three stars, and on average a ranking of 1.8. They haven't been aware of this bad reputation in the past, but are now under another management and want to do better. They have a much better product and customer service now, and they'd like to start again. What is their option to start over again with GMB? So within guidelines, um, if they changed management and rebranded, uh, they could technically create a new listing if they want to close it down. However, just because you have a bad reputation, um, creating a new listing, you're still going to have an uphill battle in regards to ranking um, with your other listings still ranking despite the bad reputation. I would say your time is probably better spent just asking every single customer that comes in to leave a review, ask them how their service was, really training your staff and making this a priority, saying, you know, this is important to us. I know you guys have all worked hard. We want to guide you and be successful here. This is kind of what we need to do. Um, I would say that's likely going to be your best path forward as opposed to starting over. Yeah, a technique that we use is, because um, this this will happen from time to time, is we get uh, franchisees that leave the network and new ones come in and take over an existing store. Um, and it's really kind of going after those clients, you know, your, your best loyal clients that come in, leave us a review, sending emails for surveys to, you know, to invite them to leave a review on Google or Facebook. 
um, just kind of spreading the word, um, kind of really, you know, changing things around because it has to be done organically, um, and authentically and we can't force them to leave the reviews. And, you know, so it just, it's, it's a timing thing, you know, being patient with it. Um, and then, you know, over a period of time, it's going to start to turn around. Um, cause I know when clients look at recent reviews, they don't go back more than two weeks. And so, you know, the more relevant the reviews are coming in, the better the service is going to be. And then over time, you're just going to have a better, you know, rating and ranking within Google. Yeah, I would, I, I've likely seen that a few times where you see the reviews shift pretty dramatically on a business and you can tell that there has been some change. Um, and oftentimes, even if you ask for reviews, say, how do you like our new management? Give us some feedback on Google about our new management. And then that trains users to start leaving reviews about new management, which then tells potential consumers, hey, let's give this business a try. Even if we, you know, went there before, we're not happy. Let's try it again because there's some pretty positive feedback about the new management. I completely concur with those uh, answers. And to your point, John, regarding recency reviews, there are studies that show that the more recent reviews are more impactful an older one. So there is that turnaround situation. So encouraging and Google has zero qualms about you reaching out and uh, asking customers to share their experience online. They don't like you gating reviews. So don't gate reviews uh, at all. But um, in terms of just, you know, sending the positive folks who have good experience to, <laughs> to the Google My Business, ask everybody. Chances are mm-hmm. if you're doing a good job, you're going to get really good reviews. Yeah, and actually in relation to Google wanting you to solicit reviews, they actually started, and this is available for small businesses, um, they auto-populate Google posts that highlight your positive reviews. Um, They create a graphic, but if for some reason you don't like it, you can go create a very similar graphic, um, just highlighting some of your positive reviews. Um, Despite your maybe average review rating being one or two stars, highlight some of your new recent reviews and even say, hey, we have new management, you know, check out some of our recent reviews or, or see what this person has to say. And um, that's another way to kind of combat, you know, your, your history. Yeah, absolutely. I think Google also uses small talk. So you can take existing reviews and post it on social media and you can go in Google posts as well. As sometimes it may not auto populate within your GMB listing that, Hey, there's a review left here, post it uh, using Google posts. Um, but using that small talk uh, website where Google Populate your reviews is also a pretty handy tool that we use. Yeah, they actually just changed the URL to marketingkit.google.com for whatever reason, and it didn't redirect at the beginning. So in case anyone wants to use it, it's like marketingkit at google.com. And in case you ever feel bad about not implementing a redirect correctly, even Google doesn't get it right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> your digital team, don't feel too bad. <laughs> You're in good company. So, Reed, uh, there's a question that came in about uh, healthcare marketing. Uh, what do you think should be top of mind as an opportunity in healthcare marketing today? And it could be in the context of reviews and listings, but location-based, local-based. But what are your thoughts on that? Sure. So, you know, in mo- most cases, we're competing in a, in a local or regional market. You know, there, there's very few, especially hospitals out there that are getting, you know, this more destination medicine where people are flying from all over the country or world. Um, so in most cases, you're competing locally. And, you know, when we start talking about and everybody's hearing about the digital front door a lot now, um, people are looking online for those resources. And where they used to be looking for a physician, then it was a physician near me and as a physician near me with five stars or what, you know, whatever, whatever it is. 
And so I think reviews and listing management are some of the primary ways that we could impact the uh, the patient experiences they come in contact with our organizations. And um, so, I, you know, I would make sure that the information online is correct, that you own those listings and can kind of control them or monitor them and that kind of thing, uh, that you do take this seriously, that you have somebody at least is partially dedicated to keeping up and making sure this stuff is correct and that in a timely fashion we're responding to people online and and all of those types of things and so that goes outside of just reviews obviously there's people asking questions through private messages on facebook or instagram or whatever it may be uh, but it's that community management piece and kind of working within uh, your local community to to be a resource uh, this is going to circle back to John. This is a franchise question. Uh, should local managers have access to their listings? Our strategies for sport coaches is yes. Um, you know, local managers are going to probably be your most trusted um, team members at the local level. You know, they got access, you know, keys to the store. They got access to the register. Um, giving them access on a digital front um, is the next logical step. Uh, it does help with keeping kind of, you know, our strategies in place with re-responding or posting on social channels. Um, you know, it may be that our local franchisee may not have time. And so it's just kind of delegating, you know, within their team that someone's going to have to do it. Uh, and the best resource to have is probably your local managers as well. Crystal, what have you seen in the, uh, the companies that you've worked with? So I know that most corporate, as when it's not franchise-based, um, that they don't typically want managers having access because there's likely corporate guidelines when they respond to reviews or updating data. But Google did just roll out the ability for anyone at the store to be added as a site manager without corporates um, basically say so. They can go in and remove them, but Right now, you don't have to require corporate to add you to get access to the listing. So I feel like it's likely a shift um, both from Google's standpoint, but also corporate. Um, and a lot of it, I do think, has to do with reviews and images and some of the rich content that, quite honestly, if you're at corporate, and you've got a couple thousand locations that you may not be paying attention to this small store in this small town. But the manager still wants to be able to provide some of that information. Yeah, and it's really having a structure in place as well at, you know, at the corporate level and, and teaching down. Um, you know, it's just going to keep us well organized and, you know, things don't really get dropped down to the nitty gritty, but it's just that organizational level. Um, because we do want to have our corporate branding and we want to make sure that we, you know, we make sure that we have the guidelines that were coming from corporate, but still have the authentic voice. Um, and that's, you know, our main priority is that we don't want to feel like a robot, don't sound like a robot, um, that it is the local community and those that are in the local community uh, should have access to those, you know, to those assets there. There's a question. I haven't found that when I add a suite number behind an address and GMB listing, it screws up the map. Is there a way around that? I, I don't know why I hate suite numbers when it comes to submitting data to Google. I typically just remove them if there's an error. Um, it really doesn't. Like, if if you think about it, when you're submitting your data to a Maps platform, specifically the address, it's trying to place a map pin, and the suite number just doesn't mean anything. Um, so I would typically, like, add it if you have complaints about users not being able to find you in a large shopping center. Um, otherwise, I, I think the suite number on Google is irrelevant, especially if you have signage and it's pretty clear to, to find you. 
Did everybody on uh, Reed and John, is that your experience too, working with sweet numbers? They just screw up everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We got to move them around. It is what healthcare it is. Healthcare is very relevant. Healthcare, there's always, we're always getting, oh my goodness, well, there's so much confusion there. So there's some even improvements that Google can make potentially yeah. around that. But yeah. I agree. You heard Crystal say, I hate sweet numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. What are some strategies brands can use to encourage their customers to share their experience, positive experiences online? Do Yelp and Google allow you to ask for reviews? Uh, Reed, do you want to take this? I know we covered it a little bit. But. Yeah, we covered a little bit. And I'd love to hear some other folks kind of weigh in because I'm coming from kind of a biased uh, perspective of healthcare, where um, we're usually not the first to run out and die on the hill with new ideas. Um, and so I'd love to hear what other people are doing. But with that said, um, yes, I mean, you, you can ask for reviews. Um, you know, Aaron, I think you mentioned it earlier. Yelp doesn't love that. And so the idea of having like tablets, like sitting around in the rooms and stuff like that is probably not the best idea, especially from a Yelp standpoint, uh, IP addresses and whatnot. Um, but I think, you know, having a way uh, that we're reaching out, because I think in healthcare specifically with the CAP survey or HCAPs, it's such a long span between your experience and getting this formalized survey that it serves a couple of purposes. Number one, it gives you more re- real-time feedback. Uh, and certainly, you know, you would think with the more that you're doing and the more you're asking, um you're going to get more positive reviews by just simply asking because why else would you review a hospital? So unless, <laughs> unless the experience was bad, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's, that's the time you're going to do it. And so I think you almost, it's becoming necessary to this point uh, of simply, of simply asking. So some of that is, are you capturing email addresses up front at the point of registration or do you have a way to uh, actually deliver that ask? I guess. I agree with what you said. There are some, you know, it's always important to understand the content guidelines of each platform. Uh, so I understand what Yelp prohibits, what they, what they allow, Google, Facebook, and others, Vitals Healthcare in the healthcare setting. Um, but it, we touched on something with regards to the registration and capturing and getting consent to communicate with the uh, patient. Uh, it's important to have that because then that allows you to do further email marketing and also um, potentially even texting the customers asking them or patients and asking them to leave a review or share their experience. Uh, so very important. Some of the operational, you know, sometimes we just think of these things as a marketing initiative, but it actually impacts operations and you have to make sure that you're uh, dotting all your I's, crossing all your T's as it relates to uh, obtaining that data and getting consent from the patient and working with your colleagues in the other service lines of your either facility or uh, within your practice. Yeah, I just want to add in what kind of practices that we do um, is we have bandy redirects that go specifically to the store's, you know, Google listing or Facebook page, right, where they're going to leave a review. Um, because what happens is you you tell a client, hey, would you mind leaving us a review? They'd have to go to Google, spell out, you know, your your name and then mm-hmm. be found in Google. How we limit that and make it really easy is that, hey, if you just go to this website, it takes you directly to the Google review site and the clients can just go in there and leave the review real quick. Um, so we've done like, you know, tips and tricks, like you can leave that bandy URL on the back of a business card, um, handing out the clients, you know, if they're walking on the way out, leaving us a review or even capturing clients as they're first coming in 
and sitting down and, you know, they may be waiting to get a, a haircut that saying, hey, do you mind leaving us a review, knowing that that client is already, you know, a, a regular. And so, yeah, you know, while I'm waiting, you know, five to 10 minutes before a haircut, just go ahead and leave the review. Um, they know exactly the, the URL to go to. Um, and that way it kind of just, you know, I have to fumble around searching for it. Um, you know, Yelp is the different animal where you can't, you know, you, you can't go after any of that stuff. And, um, you know, it's, it's having find us on Yelp branded stickers around or just letting kind of clients know, Hey, you know, we are found on Yelp, you know, find us on Yelp kind of thing. Uh, you can't really go further than that, but, um, right. that's how we, you know, we're trying to find success that way is being really more authentic. But with Google and Facebook, we can have those direct links, uh, with Yelp. We kind of have to, um, kind of go at, at a different approach. Yeah, I would say with Yelp, what I've seen is, I mean, you can ask customers to post their picture of their haircut to Yelp, and that can kind of in, encourage them to leave. Um, you can just, like, send an email or a text and say, like, thank you for your service, and then just include the links to Yelp and, and Google and mm-hmm. all the properties below. I think customers really appreciate when you give them the option where they where they want to leave a review. That's That's been successful. Uh, but, yeah. Yelp just doesn't want they, – they feel that it's not authentic when you are leading with um, asking for feedback. I cannot thank Reed, John, Crystal, and Neff for your participation and answering the questions. I learned a lot myself, uh, which is always a good. I'm always learning something new. Um, and we hope that for the audience and the participants that you had your questions addressed. But thank you guys so much. Have a great day. Thanks. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Well, that was really interesting, Reed. I really liked the conversation that you guys had, and it was really also great to hear different perspectives, like um, you know, from sports clips, the, the franchisee that you discussed, that franchisee model, as well as uh, the person from Rio SEO. Really good tips. Sometimes it's really good to interact with people in other industries and pick up some great tips that we can apply to ours. Absolutely, absolutely. So again. Big thanks to Aaron Clifford and the folks over at Binary Fountain for putting on the webinar, asking me to be a part and uh, uh, letting us use this audio. So a couple of quick plugs for where we're going to be over the next just couple of weeks. The uh, Shishmed Connections 2019 conference here in Nashville, September the 8th through the 11th. Let me know if you're coming to town. We'd love to invite you to an event uh, that I'm involved in. That's right. Um, and that actually is happening next week, right? So when you're listening to this, uh, it's happening the following week. So I hope you got your plane ticket already. On September 25th, a couple of weeks away, we're going to be doing a webinar with, with Medicom. It's called Active Listening, which really is a way for Reed and I to recount our two years plus of podcasting and some of the things that we learned and, and way that we use podcasting to keep ourselves up and current on trends in digital. That should be really fun. Um, we've done this, oh, what, what episode are we on now? 135. So that's a, that's a lot of, uh, that's a lot of times of hearing from smart people and us researching topics and things like that. So shortly after that, a short few weeks after that, October 22nd, 23rd, Rochester, Minnesota, I will be up your way as well as a number of people will be for the 2019 Mayo Clinic Social Media Network Annual Conference. 
Uh, we'd love for you to check that out over at socialmedia.mayoclinic.org. Again, social media specific, although some of those topics are bleeding into digital, I'll be doing a workshop on reputation management. Uh, you'll be talking about uh, some different things we'll be doing the show. Uh, should be a lot of fun. And then just a few weeks after that, uh, I'm exhausted already thinking about our schedule this fall. We're going to be at the in Orlando, Florida, at the Healthcare Internet Conference, November 4th through the 6th. That's the preeminent uh, internet-based digital conference uh, that for healthcare. And, and a lot of people are going to be there. We're looking forward to catching up with all of our friends. And also, we're going to be recording a podcast while we're there as well. And in addition, I'll be speaking. And I hear that one night you're going to be picking up the bar tab. So make sure to reach out to us <laughs> to figure out what night that is. I don't know about that. Um, I guess you'll just have to come and find out. So exactly. anyway, a lot of fun this fall. Would, would love to connect with you in person. Certainly, if you're going to be there, or a member of your team, possibly. Um, we'd certainly appreciate uh, all the support. Maybe a couple of recommendations. What do, you, what do you have today? Okay, Reed. Well, I go to the grocery store quite often. And when I do, I always feel my guilt kind of falls in whenever I pull a plastic bag to put my produce or my fruit into. Recently, I went out to Amazon and I purchased a pack of cotton string bags, reusable produce bags. I'm telling you, they're really affordable, little tiny cotton bags, you know, just like in the old days, sort of a mesh cotton produce bag. They come in a six pack with small, medium, large sizes. And now whenever we go to the grocery store, we bring home our produce in these little bags and then we can wash them out and reuse them over and over again. So there you go. Appealing to the environment. How do you mm. feel about that? Did you move to Portland or you still live? And- <laughs> no, that's great, man. Very cool and useful. I am recommending again here in my new office, my desk uh, is kind of, I don't know, it's got like grooves in the top. So it makes it hard to like write. You can't write on my desk. There's like, you know, grooves about every, I don't know, what is that? Maybe four inches apart or something. So anyway, point being is like, it makes it hard to like make notes on something because it keeps dropping into the little grooves on the, on the table. So I wanted a writing pad, you know, like a big, you know, that you see the kind of the big piece of leather sometimes sits on, on the desk. And I found something on Amazon for a mere, I don't know, like 20 bucks, I think is what it is. It's by Uncrowned, Uncrowned King's Desk Pad. And it's black, it's waterproof, it's not real leather. I mean, it's 20 bucks, but it's great. I mean, it lays out nice and flat and it comes, it's kind of interesting. It comes with like a little strap where you can roll it up put the strap around it and I guess take it with you if you wanted to travel with it or move it around or something like that or store it. They make a couple of different sizes. Uh, they're either $19 or $26. You could use it in front of a monitor with a keyboard and a mouse, you know, that kind of thing, or as a more of a writing pad, like I'm, like I'm using it. So kind of cheap, kind of useful. So it's been great. Now I'm trying to envision you walking around Nashville with this big writing pad on your back. I'm going to start taking it into like Starbucks and like unrolling it like on the. <laughs> it's like, it's like the professional's version of a yoga mat. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's funny. All right. Well, hey, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for telling a friend. We appreciate all the support. Touchpoint.health is the website. Let us know if you're going to be at one of these upcoming conferences. We'd love to connect with you. Otherwise, reach out on your social media platform of choice. He's Chris Boyer. I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. 
This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.